This morning, we are wrapping up the series that we've been in for the last few weeks called Cool Story, Bro. And as we wrap up this series, you know, if you ever wanted to explain Christianity to somebody, if you wanted to, to share your faith with somebody, there are some, some real facts and truths that have to be understood in order to understand Christianity. There, there are just some, some bottom line, irreducible, non-negotiable facts that are, that are a part of the Christian life. We, we would call these things doctrines, we would call them theology or whatever, but the fact of the matter is you, you can't really fully experience the Christian faith just in facts and figures. There, there are some, there, there's some spiritual and some emotional, some, some emotional meat of the Christian faith that you can't just slice and dice with facts and figures. It, it takes stories. It takes metaphors. It takes analogies to be able to communicate the, the perfect, unconditional love of an immutable, all-powerful, all-loving God, particularly when we're trying to communicate it to people like you and me who are absolutely finite and fallible and limited in our ability to understand the unlimited God and His amazing grace. And so that's part of why we've done this series is because everybody has a story to tell. Everybody's story is an example of divine intervention. They're their story of faith in the context of a relationship with Christ. And not only is it a divine story and a, and a vehicle for God's perfect love, it's also an example for us to learn from. There, there are always things that we can discern between the lines of people's stories about who God is, about how he operates, and things that we know from the Bible that we see lived out in people's lives. Now, throughout this series, we have very deliberately used stories from the membership, from the family of faith that is Lake Hills Church. You know, we, we didn't go to, to Billy Graham or to the Pope, although those are real and, and great. We, we went, let, let's just talk about ordinary, everyday folks like you and me and how this amazing grace of Jesus has played out in their lives. Ryan and Stephanie Kelsheimer are a part of our church staff family, but the story that we're going to share with you today about the family of the Kelsheimers really has nothing to do with the fact that Ryan's on our staff, other than the fact that God used that detail as part of his thread in weaving together the narrative of plot and principle and purpose into the story of their family that is absolutely a cool story, bro. My name is Sarah Jane Kelsheimer. My brother's name is Caden. My mom's name is Stephanie, and my dad's name is Ryan. Well, I mean, one of the main reasons I came on staff at Lake Hills Church originally was to help implement mobile loaves and fishes. 
So I went to the headquarters, and uh, after meeting Alan, he introduced me to a guy named Raymond, who was literally just helping work the grounds there and kind of finding out that he'd been homeless most of his life um, and got to get to know him a little bit. Several interactions, just kind of visiting Mobiles and Fishes and understanding he's married. So then I got to meet Carrie when I was at one of my visits, and, and at one of the visits, Carrie was actually pregnant. And at the same time, a life group who had been doing mobile loaves and fishes, like, this is really cool, we love this. Is there a next step for us? Can we get more involved with the family? I'm like, all right, let's call Alan Graham. So I set up a meeting and met Alan and said this, this life group would love, what's next level? What do, you, what do you got going on right now that can help mobile loaves and fishes? When they're like, well, we're implementing this program right now. We're lifting some people up off the streets, putting them in, in, in mobile homes and trailer parks around town. And it'd be amazing to have life groups and people come around them and create a little community around these couples. And he's like, I have this young couple right now who's pregnant. We're about to put them into a mobile home. Does that sound like something you want to do? And they're like, absolutely. Well, I come to find out it's Raymond and Carrie that I'd met before. Um, at some point down the road, life group reaches out and says, man, um, Raymond and Carrie's had the baby, um, but they don't have anything. So, you know, does anybody in the church have clothes, toys? And at that time, we had, as I mentioned earlier, we had a 10-pound, 2-ounce baby. It's like a birth to a toddler. His bassinet, he couldn't use. His baby blankets were too small. His clothes, his newborn, he never even got to wear them because he was just ginormous. So at that point, we donated a bassinet. We, don we donated some other stuff to the family. Mm -hmm. Here, I mean, you, guys, you guys can have it. Give it to Raymond and Carrie. When Raymond and Carrie decided to go outside the confines of relationships, outside the confines of community, and started making some choices on their own, they made some bad choices. Um, consequences were that uh, Raymond and Carrie and Sarah were back living on the streets. So the life group had heard about this because they checked in regularly and found out they weren't in the trailer and tracked him down and they were literally living in the woods um, with, with Sarah. Um, and they didn't think that was okay, obviously. So they kind of set up a meeting that night and decided that it was, the best thing to do would be to like remove Sarah from the situation. Faithful and scary, right? Here's I mean, just a life, just just like you and me, just, just people in our church that wanted to love on people and had and cared enough though to make a really hard decision on the on the streets of Austin to go. This 18-month-old girl shouldn't be living on the streets. You'd always been interested in. I had adoption. always wanted to adopt. So we were praying for a baby girl, a little girl younger um, than, than Cadence. And then that Sunday at church, I walk into church and I see a family in the church that I know well, that I know don't have kids, checking a little girl into LHC Kids. I'm like, who you got there? And they're like, oh yeah, this is, this is Sarah. It's, uh, you know, this is Carrie and Raymond's little girl that we've been kind of helping with through Mobile Loaves and Fishes. The life group have been kind of passing her around and taking care of her and kind of trying to just praying about what to do. So I said, so what do you, what's the plan? And they said, yeah, we've been talking about it, praying about it. Tomorrow morning, we're going to go to CPS. I said, where are you, okay, can I go with you? And, and he's like, why? I said, you're not going to believe this, but we just got licensed foster adopt on Friday, so I think we could be helpful. I have no idea what the system's going to do, what that looks like, but can I just go with you? I mean, who knows? Like, I'd love to go with you and see what happens. I remember going down with them, walking into CPS. I walk in and go, hey, just 
This is random. I know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I actually know Sarah's parents from a couple years ago. Um, I know who they are. I, this is a life from our church. I'm a pastor at the church. And I can believe this. We just got licensed on Friday. I don't know what your rules are, what this looks like, but we'd be happy to take her home tonight just to, for a place for her to be. But she's like, hmm. You know the parents in the system. If there's a family member or a kin, they can kind of do an immediate outside the system handoff. So literally 15 minutes later, car seat, Sarah walking to the car, going home. So I didn't meet Sarah until he brought her home. Sarah. She was wearing a pink little shirt and it was adorable with these little shorts that matched and she gets out of the car and I'm like, hi, and she doesn't know who I am and I don't know who she is, but she just gets out of the car and walks into the garage, and that's the first time I ever met her. At this point, it's just a foster situation, right? Like, when I brought her home that night, she wasn't ours to keep. It was could have been a loaner, right? Yeah, or, or, yeah. I said, this could be a short-term loan. And I struggled with that, and I would tell Ryan, I'd be crying, I'd be like, I don't want to give her up. Like, what happens when they come and take her? Like, that's not okay with me. And he would tell me, it's not about you. And it was 18 months of, you know, just that's the process, right? Foster, lots of steps, a lot of court dates, a lot of interaction with the parents. And just the blessing the whole thing is that there was a relationship with the parents, right? We, we knew Raymond and Carrie, so we, we love them. And we, 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 we kind of help foster that situation as much as we can. And just when you do the right thing, it works in everyone's best interest, right? Because at some point, about 18 months into the process, um, Raymond and Carrie kind of realized that, you know what? The best thing for Sarah would be if you all would keep her forever. And it was, it was specific, what I love about it was Raymond saying, I'm not okay giving the rights up for her in general, but I'm okay giving the rights up for her if you keep her. That was special. Sweet people, they loved her and made a really hard decision, but knowing it was the right thing for Sarah. Raymond and Carrie trusted us with Sarah. So that was, that was a good feeling. Full circle is she, from the time she was born until she was 18 months old, slept in Caden's bassinet that we had uh, donated to them. So unbeknownst to us, right? So the the idea that <laughs> the idea that yeah, the idea that our, I mean, our baby girl slept in our bassinet. I mean, and at the time she wasn't wasn't even ours. So I mean, there was there were two. It was two, two, two parallel universes happening, right? I mean, there's literally a family mobilos and fishes help donate happening over here zero thought zero idea that these belong together and over here we're chasing a whole nother trail and God collided them on that Sunday morning on May 10th you know 2009 of saying I've got a bigger plan for you you know what it's like he knows what he's doing <laughs> we didn't even have to bend outside of the prayer right I mean within the, when the confines of God's providence it's exactly what we asked for and prayed for and working through this whole state system and she shows up in a friend's arms at church on a Sunday morning she was always supposed to be ours that was, that's the, the beauty of God's plan is bigger than our plan Adoption basically means, well, I'm from another family. Um, God decided that he wanted me to be with a different family. I guess he just looks at a family and sees how creative and wonderful they are, and he just finds who would match the best with a certain kid. Me and my dad are almost completely different. <laughs> He has no tickle spot. I have lots of tickle spots. Almost everywhere is my tickle spot. I just love my brother. He's so nice. We're always laughing. 
Me and my mom are very alike. We we forget things a lot, but always remember them at the wrong time. I wasn't born with this family, but God meant for me to be in this family. Wow, I mean, out of the mouths of babes. Can, can we just take just a quick second and, and let Sarah's off-the-cuff description of her life sink in a little bit? I wasn't born with this family, but God meant for me to be in this family. Now, the Kelsheimer story, on its own, is one of those examples of amazing grace, one of those cool stories that you you will never forget. You will never be able to unsee what you just saw. But there's so much more to the story than the story. It's the story behind the story that I think is so fascinating. I mean, if you're here today and you're a Christ follower and you ever want to or feel compelled to share your faith with somebody or or to try to explain why you believe what you believe, you now have a conversation starter, compliments of a third grader. It's amazing. If you're here today and you're maybe not yet a Christ follower, Sarah Kelsheimer really just explained pretty much in essence everything you need to know to make an informed decision in response to the grace of God. It's all there for the taking. You see, adoption is one of those things that that is one of God's favorite metaphors. It's one of God's favorite images to describe what happens when he intervenes in a life. When when one person steps over the line of faith, they, they choose to follow Christ. Adoption is what actually happens. But but if you read the Bible, it's not only a, a metaphor, it's not only an analogy that God uses, it's actually a tool. Adoption is a divine device that God uses to accomplish his purposes. Go all the way back to Moses. Moses who walked and, and talked face to face with God, who received the Ten Commandments. I mean, that's a pretty good resume by itself. And then led the nation of Israel out of Egyptian slavery prior to receiving the Ten Commandments, but before leading them through 40 years of wilderness wandering as God prepared Israel to take over the promised land that he had promised to Abram centuries and generations before. Moses was adopted. Moses, whom Pharaoh's daughter found just there in the bulrushes of the Nile River, who took Moses out of the basket and took him home to Pharaoh's palace, the one household in all of Egypt where an Israelite baby boy would be safe. He was adopted. Queen Esther. Esther was the Israelite queen born into slavery who caught the eye and won the favor of King Xerxes the oppressor of Israel. And because Esther was so beautiful and the king was so smitten with her, he took her as his wife. And it was in that role as the wife of King Xerxes that Esther 
preserved the nation of Israel because the king had an advisor by the name of Haman who was scheming and plotting to have all Israelites wiped out. This same Esther was adopted by her older cousin Mordecai. And through that adoption, the nation of Israel was preserved. But not just, I mean, Moses and Esther, these are amazing, amazing stories of adoption. How about the life of Jesus himself? Jesus, born of Mary, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, grew up in an adoptive home. Joseph was not his natural father, but Joseph adopted the Son of God. Dad, whenever you feel pressure to do the right thing, just remember Joe. Jesus was adopted. So over and over and over again, we see this divine device being used to preserve God's people in order to pursue God's purposes. And so adoption is a big deal. And not only in the the legal sense, not only in the familial, physical sense, but in the spiritual sense. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in Galatians chapter number 4. In Galatians chapter 4, the Bible explains what this spiritual adoption into the family of faith really looks like and what was really and truly required. Check this out in Galatians chapter 4. The Bible says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. He's talking about the law of Moses. Those are the the Ten Commandments and the law handed down in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. God sent him to buy the freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Now, to be sure, there's something divine and supernatural about biological offspring the the way that the way that it happens more predominantly than adoption that that's a divine gift the bible says that children are a gift from the lord some better gifts than others but they're a gift from the lord but adoption adoption in god's economy holds a very, very special place. If you have been adopted, if you are adopted, then you can know that that family unit there is is imitating and and mimicking the character and the nature of God as much as any other family unit there is. And, And it says that when the right time came. You see, this passage in Galatians chapter 4, just trust me when I tell you there are at least two full semesters of systematic theology packed into these verses that we just read. When the right time came, God sent his son. The the right time is that God has always used human history, always to weave his story. So ever since God created humanity, Ever since God interacted with Abram, who became Abraham, and God called out the nation of Israel and preserved Israel, to that moment when Jesus was born, 2,000 years ago, it was the exact right moment in time because Jesus was a child 
of Israel. He was born a Jew. And the moment when he was born was the only time in the course of human history that Israel's history intersected Roman history. And as such, the leaders of Israel and the leaders of Rome there in Palestine conspired to crucify Jesus. That's the only time that that ever could have happened. It was the only time that Jesus' crucifixion could have fulfilled the prophecy of some 500 years earlier that the Son of God would be hung on a tree and he died on that cross. It's the only time from which God has continued to weave his story through the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ in the world dispersed. It started out in a very, very small group there in Jerusalem immediately after Jesus returned to heaven. But it has continued fulfilling Jesus' words that his church would be a prevailing body that the gates of hell would not be able to overcome. And so it was at that time that God sent his son. God sent his son to buy us back from our slavery to the law. Now, our slavery to the law just means that every one of us is born into the condition of sin. You've got it, I've got it, all God's chilling got sin. Ever since Adam and Eve, we have been born spiritual descendants of that initial choice to reject God, to, to step away from his plan, his will, his perfect purpose. And so we all have that. This idea that somehow babies are born pure and untouched is such a sweet notion. It just doesn't have any basis in reality. If you've ever had an 18-month-old whom you have fed and cleaned and housed for the entirety of her life or his, look back at you and for no reason go, no, then you understand human depravity. That is a deep, profound Christian doctrine. <laughs> Nobody had to teach it to me or to you or to our kids. I mean, I, I never, ever sat in a class on how to be selfish. And can I just tell you, I'm great at it. Just left to my own devices, I, I get A's in selfishness. I never took a class in lust or lying. Did anybody else? Don't raise your hand. I'm just making a point here. That those things are, we're born with those things. We're born under the law. And the law of God, the commandments are given to us, the Bible says, so that we understand our need for forgiveness. It, it explains how a relationship with God works and the fact that none of us is born in that relationship. It's like Sarah Kelsheimer said so eloquently, I wasn't born in this family we're not born Christians, even if you were born in America, in God we trust. You're not a Christ follower because of your geography or because of your biology. Christ followers make a choice to respond to the grace initiative of Jesus. In that perfect time, God sent his son to buy us back, to bring us out of that slavery. That's why Christianity can never be reduced to a self-help course. Don't ever think that Christianity is just here to make your life better. It will, but it will absolutely make things harder as well. 
It will be richer. It will be fuller. It will be more abundant. It will be the life that is truly life. But don't think it's going to be easy. That, leave that to other people. The gospel just brings us back into relationship, back to the life that God originally designed us to live, that our sin, my sin, completely jacked up. That's a good theological term as well. You might want to write that down. But Jesus brings us from death to life, slavery to freedom, so that, so that God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator, the alpha and the omega, so that he can adopt us into his family as as his children. He, he chooses. He, he, he chooses and decides to love us that much. And so this adoption thing becomes much, much bigger. Now, we, we watch the Kelsheimer story and we see the beauty of that love played out. We, we see the incredible, incredible decision that, that Sarah's biological parents made realizing that personally and circumstantially they weren't in a place to care for a child and placing her needs above their own instincts and desires and wants in a move of incredible courage and grace. Ryan and Stephanie choosing to say, this will be our daughter. This will be a child, just like Caden. And to see, I mean, can't you just see Sarah, the fire in her eyes in that video? Even when she was in the crib, kind of looking up at you, that's a woman who will run a small country one day. <laughs> but, but it's not just Sarah, Ryan, Stephanie, Sarah's parents. There, there's, also, there's also Sarah's brother, Caden. Now, now Caden is, is a phenomenal young man. He, he's not quite as comfortable on camera as Sarah is. I don't think Charlie's Theron is as comfortable on camera as Sarah is. But Caden but has a phenomenal lesson there also for those of us who, who already are Christians. Because Caden was a, a biological child of, of Ryan and, and Stephanie. And Caden chose, he decided to welcome Sarah into the family. Caden was the one who said, hey, let's jump off the side of the pool together. Let's do this thing as brother and sister. Caden, I think, is a phenomenal example of kind of the the anti-big brother of Jesus' prodigal son story. You know, in Luke chapter 15, when the younger brother uh, of two brothers demanded his inheritance from his father and, and ran off to the far country and squandered it on wild living while the older brother stayed back home every day reporting for duty. Here I am, Papa. And then when the brother came home and the father welcomed him home and put his robe on him and killed the fatted calf, the older brother was angry. He, he was resentful and bitter like, what do you mean throwing him a party? I've been, I've been the good son. You see, there was that that sense of entitlement that those of us who are already believers need to make sure that we stay prayed out of, that we remember we're all sinners saved by grace. And, and no matter what somebody has done or where they have been, we always go looking for the younger brother. We always throw our arms wide open and, and spiritually kill the fatted calf and go get the robe and the ring and, and welcome the little brother or the little sister home. Because we know that 
though we may not have gone to the far country, we've still lived under the roof and the love and the protection and the provision of a good, good father. And, and I think Caden shows us what that looks like as brother to an adopted sister. It's interesting, too, that once, in biblical times, once a child was adopted, they could never be disowned. They could never be disowned. Biological children, you could disown them just because they look weird at you. If they ever disrespected or dishonored their parents, out of the will, see you, good luck. I'm not going to go down that road, but I'm just saying. <laughs> a child who's adopted is always a member of the family. A child who's adopted is always son or daughter to the father. See, once, once a person steps into a relationship with Jesus, they, they definitively, personally step over that line of faith, Jesus says nothing can snatch them from his hands. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You are always part of the family. Sarah wasn't born with that family. But God decided she should be in that family. None of us are born Christian, follower of Jesus. But God decided that he would send his son at the exact right moment and, by his grace, reveal that reality to you. There, there was a moment when I first heard that truth. And, and ultimately, over some time, I, I responded to it. I stepped into that reality, that relationship with God through Jesus and, and began the process of living in that relationship, taking that faith journey as a part of the family of faith. If you're here today and you've never taken that first step, then as a church, in just a moment, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. Because nothing is more important to your life. And there's no priority greater for us as a church family. And so, as we conclude this series, as we begin and launch a new season of ministry into this fall, don't miss this opportunity. If God's nudging you, if, if maybe, maybe God's just kind of jerking your collar a little bit and kind of going, hey, don't, don't miss this. this. This may be your moment. Then we as a church want to invite you to just pray. A prayer of commitment. A prayer of beginning that relationship. And, and, and candidly, it's a prayer of surrender. It means that you commit to God, it means that you submit to God every part of your life. 
in order to follow Jesus. Will you bow your heads for just a moment? Just, just for a sacred moment. If God's leading you into that relationship right now, then I want to ask you to pray right where you're sitting. Just talk to God silently and say, Jesus, I need you. Right here, right now, I commit my life to you. I submit my life to you. I confess my sin. God, you know all of it. But I confess my sin to you and I claim your forgiveness to walk in that amazing grace as a child adopted into your family. Jesus, thank you for coming at the perfect time and buying my freedom. I pray this prayer, Jesus, in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment. Just, just a brief moment, but a sacred moment. If that was your prayer and you meant it, you need to understand this is the greatest moment of your life. It's, it's a moment where everything is new. And as a family of faith, as a church, we want to help in any way that we can. So I want to ask you, if you would, just do two things as part of the family. Number one, would you mind just filling out that contact info card that's the connect card that's in the program? You got it when you came in today? Open it up there on the perforation. It says connect card. Fill out the information. And about halfway down, there's a place to indicate there. I committed my life to Christ this week. Just fill that out right now. And before you leave, just hand it to one of our ushers or hosts or one of the folks who are under that blue canopy out underneath the, the main lobby outside. Just, just hand it to them so that we can help. This moment is absolutely personal. But it's never intended to remain private. It's an opportunity to be part of the family. And then second of all, as our heads are bowed, if you prayed that prayer of commitment, of beginning a relationship with Jesus, would you just lift your hand? Just raise it up quietly but unmistakably over your head and know that as you do that, you're, what you're doing is kind of stamping this moment in your life, but also the life of this church. The whole reason we have existed for 20 years is to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. And so as a family, we honor that, we celebrate that. And our family tradition around here is as, as you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together and just tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.